0: Welcome to episode three ninety-four of the Sleeper and the Bust. It's Wednesday, September 28th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, how are you doing?
1: Doing great. Today was a good day. Won a game with a three-pointer, uh, won a game with a hook shot. Uh, pretty much pretty much felt like Enap's Porzingis out there.
0: Enaps Porzingis from way downtown. <laughs> Enap Abdul Jabbar with the hook, too. <laughs> I like it. I like it. that's a big day right there. I, I no no softball uh, exploits to update over here. We got rained out. Big big rain this past weekend, so uh, you're going to have to you're going to have to carry the mantle on the sporting exploits of the sleeper in the bus. Sounds like maybe the fingers feeling better? Maybe yeah, maybe yeah. maybe those who had you on their fantasy uh recreational hoops team stuck with <laughs> you through injury and then you know now they're getting well, they're getting the rewards for that.
1: The- the thing is, you are never really a hundred percent. I mean, today my hamstring was a little tight, so. That's
0: especially, true.
1: Especially once you get past, I feel like once you get past, you know, twenty eight, you're just. Absolutely, and once you get
0: past a certain age, and then you know, whether we're talking,
1: parks, yeah, always recreational
0: <laughs> or professional, That's right. you're, you're just you. You're not healthy at a hundred percent immediately, right? I mean, you hear baseball players talk about. It. They say, you know, April twenty eighth by that by that time
1: Segway machine
0: here we go right (laughs) into your most recent piece here and that's what we're going to talk about we're going to talk about um a piece that you did on carlos correa and the idea of playing hurt and then we're gonna you know loosely speculate on maybe some other guys who might have been dealing with some certain things this year that maybe didn't come up to the forefront you know a lot to the point where we can say oh this was the injury that got them but maybe that's why they struggled so first off let's focus on correa what, what led you down this path uh, of this piece, um, specifically around Carlos Correa?
1: It's pretty funny. When I was talking to Correa, I thought I'd, I thought I'd uh, broken a story because I asked him a question about how his launch angle had gone down and his exit velocity had gone down in the second half. And he basically admitted that he was hurt. And it was funny because he, he said, oh, you know, it's just kind of – the things you deal with, you you have to try and adjust. These are the things you 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 know you try to deal with over the course of a season. You have to you have to do what you can with you know how you're feeling that day. Mm-hmm. And it was a little bit vague, but it basically was saying you know I'm hurt. So I stopped him at the end of it and I said, "Yo, what's hurting?" And there was like the light went off in his head a little bit, and he's like, "Oh no 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 nothing hurt nothing." No no I'm good I'm good I'm <laughs> good I'm good I'm good. That's good. And I thought, oh my God, I've I've just broken something, you know. Not like I didn't break Carlos' career, but I, you know, I broke some. I'm about to break some news that he's playing hurt. And I, you know, I went to Twitter and and, and wrote about it, and you know, a couple people liked it, and one person came back and said, "Oh, it's really just such a shame that he's, you know, changed his swing so much uh, due to injury." So then I was like, "Okay, so I didn't." Oh, so
0: so people knew. Yeah,
1: oh. yeah. Oh. so okay. I put so. the I put the piece away for a little bit because uh, I that was like last Tuesday or something. When I came back to it, um, I I looked and I was like, oh yeah, there's that note. Like two or three days before I talked to him, uh, he you know left a game with a sprained shoulder. And uh, but then I thought, oh, that's really interesting. You can see it in the numbers. Like the exit velocity just took a tank when his shoulder was hurt, which is like a duh. But at the same sure. time. At the same time, you know, when we look at these these things, we have incomplete information, you know. The, these guys are not going to tell us everything, just like... Well- I, but like, I get
0: all my injury information from AJ Preller, though, so I have all the latest <laughs> on everybody, and and it's the most detailed injury information. So I don't know what you are dealing with, but I know I've got the I'm best. I'm
1: dealing with the stuff that AJ Preller gives the other teams. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so mine's mine's incomplete, and it's really funny because even though I could have known, and I just just didn't because it's really hard to follow every player on every team, you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, I it spotted it in the numbers, and so you know, I think sometimes there's two things. One thing is it's really hard to, to, to spot a player's true talent when there's all these things going on behind the scenes that we don't know about, all these little nicks and cuts that aren't even going to make the news. You know, there are times, exactly. you know, I'll bring it up when we when we talk talking to players, but there's these little notes that sometimes pop up and you're like, wait, I hadn't, you didn't say anything about that being hurt. You know, like, oh, like, you know, today this player's out for X reason and, you know, he'll be back tomorrow. And you're like, what? He's what is hurt? What? Isn't it (laughs) weird how
0: some just go completely... Unnoticed. It's like, okay, he's going to miss that day. No big deal. He's back the next day, but that doesn't mean it was over. It just means that first day it was problematic and then maybe, you know, right, right back in and dealing with it. And I think that's something that you found with, uh, with Correa because you also highlighted a rolled ankle back in June with your exit because you did a great exit velocity chart that, that, uh, has lines of demarcation on both injuries and you can kind of see how the exit velocity is affected, especially on the sprained shoulder. Like you said, it immediately plummeted with the rolled ankle it didn't necessarily go down right but away those were,
1: you know but those were you know 20 20 balls in play averages so maybe you didn't put as many balls in play it takes exactly. a little time for some of those averages to show up so i think that there's you know pretty clearly launch angle goes down exit velocity goes down uh with the injury and i think with an ankle it makes just as much sense as, maybe more sense with the shoulder because the swing seems you know shoulder seems more important but the ankle is still important for and i think it was the left ankle um that's the ankle that's the ankle you put down um, anything
0: in your base yeah, from, exactly. as far as i'm concerned i think is is a deal like uh, you're really you're using that
1: you're using that front leg for for leverage you know absolutely. you absolutely you put that thing down and you're swinging around it. just like the the pitcher puts his front leg down and and uses that to sort of swing everything around it the the hitter is kind of doing the same thing puts that and that's why i think the leg kick is is worth X amount of, of power. I don't, We can almost put a number on it. I feel like if we if we knew all the guys had legs kick leg kicks and you know check their exit velocity. But, in any case, um, you know, with back to the injury bit, uh, I I think I think that you know Correa in a healthier year is going to be better. And you know everything points up for him in terms of this is what he did. It was twenty five percent better than the league already, and he had two major injuries during the year, uh, and he managed to do this. And I doubt that he returned. We'll, we'll start, you know, when the season's over, start looking back at all the at all the values that people put up. I doubt he returned full full value. Uh, sure. Like a first was round.
0: A, yeah, he was a uh, single digit first rounder in in most drafts. Carlos Correa but was.
1: I bet you he did return. You know, top five round. You know, I bet you he wasn't. He wasn't a zero. And and, and that,
0: that that's something I always harp on, like. He didn't give you exactly what you might have hoped for out of a first-rounder, but you cannot hang your lost season on him. There's just no way. You got 640 plate appearances, a 20-homer, 13 stolen base season, 276 average, 96 ribbies, 75 runs th- yeah. at shortstop. There's no way that that costs you. He's going
1: to be a top-three shortstop or something. You know? So yep. you, you still got like a top-three player at that position, and, and that was good. So um, in any case, I, I think that he'll be – slightly undervalued next year because I think there'll be people who were burned uh, by him uh, who will, who will say, you know, Oh, you know, he, he's not as good as it seems, but you know, whatever projections we have are going to not know that he played through, you know, that, that bad ankle and, and and he played through that bad shoulder. So they're going to project him for much of the same next year. I mean, if you look at his projections, they, they, only give him basically would be you know a twenty two twenty three homer season next year. Yep. Uh, with almost no growth in contact rate or patience, it's actually some sort of decline. So I think next year's projection is going to look very much like these rest of year projections, and I doubt that anyone's going to pay for a 2010-270 shortstop. I doubt everyone's going to pay you know first round next year, but I'll pay some third round types to prices for that. I,
0: I would probably pay second round for Correa at this point because I'll take the I'll take the potential as well. And and I yeah. I do think there is Still plenty of potential for that explosion, that, that transcendent 35 homers, 310, gobs of runs and RBIs, double digit stolen bases on that club. And so, yeah, I mean, this season, like you said, 24% above average. It, it, it was hardly bad, even though it didn't quite meet the lofty, lofty expectations that were beset upon Correa. Now we started talking about maybe some other guys. Who might have also played through different injuries that didn't get as much pub as 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 they would when you consider what they might have done to their season I think the obvious one the first most obvious one is Bryce Harper right we 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 look back at that Chicago series and kind of use that as the smoking gun but it doesn't really make sense for that to be a smoking gun right when you really think about it why would a, a series of a ton of walks ruin him and, and that's essentially what's happened here. Instead, it looks a hell of a lot like what we've seen from Chris, uh, Chris Harper. Who the heck? Oh, that's one of my buddies. My, my, one of my friends is named Chris Harper. Uh, it looks a lot like what we saw to Bryce Harper from 2012 to 2014. And what was wrong in all three of those seasons? He played through injuries here and there. There were some he couldn't play through. But even when he was playing, a lot of the times Harper was hurt. So – it looks like a situation where he did get through 144 games, probably going to wind up just around a buck 50 if he finishes out the season here. Uh, good 2020 season with the counting categories, but but clearly underwhelming against expectations with just a 244 average. And then wasn't it Tom Verducci who speculated on some injury recently for, um, for Harper that was beyond the neck? Didn't he suggest a shoulder, which we just got done talking about with Correa? What do you think about Bryce Harper's season this yeah, year?
1: Yeah, and Mike Petriello actually pointed out that um, that uh, Bryce Harper is playing shallower and shallower, and that his his throws on competitive plays have gone from like 98 miles an hour to like 88 miles an hour, and wow. that's velocity, man. That's if, if if a pitcher was doing that, we'd all be you know if 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 Noah Syndergaard went from averaging 98 to <laughs> averaging 88, it would be like there everyone would be you know just. The, the you know we'd be lining, the brooklyn, Dude, yeah. Yeah, we'd be like, lining the brooklyn bridge yeah we'd be
0: lining the brooklyn bridge for a, a, a group jump
1: yeah it'd just be nuts i mean he wouldn't be pitching first of all so i mean he can still provide value and that's why he's out there and he's still a good player but you know again the projections are going to are going to ding him for this for this year and um, and they probably you know maybe they shouldn't the question if you're a projections artist is that you'd have to you really link you know severity of injury uh, and you'd have to put a value on each of these notes that come out. You know, like, you know, a day off for this is worth this much. And, you know, so you'd have to really uh, do it systematically. And I'm not sure that there are a lot of great DL transactions databases. I know, for example, that um, that Jeff Zimmerman keeps the best he can with MASH and mm-hmm. uh, with BJ Mac. Now, the two of them are trying to do their best to keep that go up, but it's still very difficult. So, um, you know, it's one of those things that maybe a human can add eyes to and and you know it's funny we were talking about you know like little little things that you know like so here we go may 21st Andrew McCutcheon is not in the lineup for the Saturday's game against the Rockies he'll get a regular day of rest okay all right you know at the time he's slashing 248 337 467 you know Mm -hmm. you know you're like okay just slow start uh a week later Andrew McCutcheon left Thursday's game against the Marlins with right thumb discomfort. It's unclear when or how McCutcheon got hurt.
0: That's huge. And, and, we, know and it, we didn't talk about it.
1: And, and of course, because we didn't think it was a big deal, yeah. he gets back in the lineup uh, three days later. So he was out for three days with a thumb injury, but we don't know what the thumb injury was. And it's just a lingering issue. Oh, and it great. could have
0: started the week before when he got that, quote-unquote, uh, regularly scheduled rest.
1: Right, Yeah. Uh, you know, later, um, you know, let's see here. Uh,
0: he had tightness in his left quad, McCutcheon did, in spring training as well. I saw a note on that when I yeah. was trolling through because we put him down as, as one of the names. So that could have been getting mm-hmm. him early in the season, before Andrew the Andrew
1: McCutcheon film. is not in the Pirates lineup Sunday after banging his heel. It's a month later on, the, on a play at the plate. Uh, his heel started to bother him. May not be a big deal. Back in the lineup the next day. Well, you know, Brandon Phillips was 30% worse than league average for the first half, and he said he suddenly said, you know, with the second half that was much better, he said, well, you know, my toe was bothering me the whole time, and I finally found like an orthotic that worked. Uh, oh,
0: that's a huge situation.
1: <laughs> so I don't know. It, 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 the takeaway is t- is difficult, except that it is. It's something. It's not that, you know, I'm going to you know, throw away Andrew McCutcheon the first time I see a heel note. But I think for DFS, you know, for example, if there's been a little note like that in the last couple of days, I think I might stay away from a guy just because. Or, we,
0: or at least be focused on them a little bit more and say, hey, we don't know the severity here. I'm not going to wildly speculate. But remember he had a thumb, a quad, a knee, and 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 a heel all in the span of two months. Maybe that's why Andrew McCutcheon is so far below the levels that we expected.
1: You know, and then no real uh, notes after that for the rest of the season. And you look at, you know, his uh, first and second half splits and uh, his OPS went up, you know, 60 points. And, you know, he hit 272 and, you know, was much closer to his his normal self. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. He's still going to be turning 30. And he's not stealing bases anymore like he used to. Again, how much is that related to injury? Because he's. I think a- that's
0: mostly. I think that's where the, that really comes in, these yeah. nagging injuries, is in something that is elective like stealing bases. And we, we talk about these guys, like, quote unquote, losing their speed as they get older. I don't know that it's so much that, and obviously in some cases, yes, but they move into the middle of the order, they they run less, but because they have to protect themselves as run producers. I think it's a lot of it's even more elective than it is just a degradation of speed, even though speed is one of those skills that uh, the, the curve of it is is pretty much straight down by the time you get in in the majors. So I, I think I would bet a ton that these nagging injuries, we just found three right away on McCutcheon um, in the early months, probably led to him having three stolen bases through july and yeah. then in august alone he steals three more while hitting it to an 810 ops N- none this month but a 959 ops with uh 13 extra base hits out of 30 so he wasn't even in the position to steal quite as much right. as you would expect because he was raking so hard so much yeah more i mean like
1: that sort of 280 type batting average so i think yeah you know, next year you you know no matter what the projections say that you're looking at, Zips has him for 278. I would, I would have him at like a 290 hitter next year with 25 homers and 10 stolen bases. You know, he's turning he's turning 30 in this offseason. season. He's not, you know, he's he's not dead yet. You
0: know, no, uh, so. Th- 30 is not the death now. Here, this is not a the, the, it's not a running back situation where you know once you kind of hit that 30 barrier, it, it, it's trouble. It, it's it's more of a situation where. I don't know. I, I'm not too. I'm not too overly concerned about McCutcheon when I kind of look probably at the anatomy of, kind of his numbers, season. He's,
1: he's, he's probably not like a, a first rounder anymore. But-
0: no, because the first round is also thickened up. He's probably more of a, a third round area, or maybe yeah. even a little bit later in some situations. But I'm trying to think of somebody. Was there anybody who had this kind of down season, like a veteran, an established veteran who had a season like this last year, where they were a little bit off off the beaten path from what they Miguel were usually
1: Carrera up to 22 this year
0: and and then uh, and then jumped Yahoo. right back on track
1: yeah Miguel Cabrera didn't quite get into the first round so far on Yahoo but uh he was he was hurt last year um Will Myers is kind of the the perennial guy
0: is there should we go back obviously we're not going to do it here on the fly it would take a lot more especially going through 2015 stuff
1: well Zimmerman usually kind of does this so he'll, but he'll what
0: what about these. what about Ian Desmond the season that yeah. he had last year, did he play through some things? And all of a sudden, he comes back 20% better than he was. Uh, not overwhelming at a 103 OPS plus, but from a fantasy standpoint, he's back to 2020 playing really well. I mean, would it stand to reason that maybe he played through some stuff last year and, and then all of a sudden adds 110 points to his OPS? Do only to health you Andy know ramirez uh, last year yes ramirez? yes and, and, that, and that's one that we knew right we saw him blast into oh, that sidewall at fenway
1: adrian beltray
0: Beltray's a good one victor thumb martinez was
1: really bad and he came back before he should have i actually saw him in the clubhouse t- like you know tugging at his thumb before he was in the game and he wow. was he basically answered questions being like i don't know i don't know i don't know maybe <laughs> and then he was in the game and i was like what as uh, his he,
0: thumb is ballooning up like yeah, a cartoon exactly. character, a giant red Apparently thumb. Thing. Nah, he dude, even it's fine. Changed it's fine.
1: his like swing to make it work, so.
0: He got fifteen percent better this year, Adrian Beltrade did, which was you know still off from from two thousand and fourteen but in line more in line with a uh, an age related decline as opposed to the plummet that Adrian Beltrade had last year, going from eight hundred seventy nine to seven hundred eighty eight and then back up to eight hundred seventy two this year Victor Martinez i think is another one, even when he came back uh, for the first i 'd say at least month, month or two. Last year, it was clear that his bottom half still was not there uh, after the knee surgery. And then he'd show spurts, but he was never quite himself. This year, has health, plays 151 games, or at least so far, 605 plate appearances. And, you know, didn't quite get back to that obscene 2014 level. Nobody expected that, but played to the the level of expectations that we had last year. 27 homers, 834 OPS, 292 average. So, you know, it's another one where... we weren't talking about the injury all the time because he was playing, and we talk about this a lot on the podcast. You know, we assume that when someone's playing, that they're healthy, and it's just—it's right. just not the case. They're not at—they're not necessarily at full sure. strength. I'm sure there's Carlos a spectrum.
1: Gomez has a you know, has a story there.
0: Yes, uh, absolutely. Even yeah. this year, I think Gomez was. Yeah, that's
1: what I'm saying. Yeah, but on the other side, you know, it's interesting. Well, there's there's two kinds. There's like the the player who doesn't you know play when he's hurt which is more the the uh, Stanton-Jose Bautista situation where they're Mm -hmm. good when they're in uh, and they're just missing the quantity. Um, And then there's the player who, you know, I don't know if there was an injury note. I don't remember there being an injury note. The sort of Chris Davis, Adam Jones type where maybe it's just, you know, they're older. Uh, That's true. You know, not everybody bounces back. This isn't like... Oh, this is why everyone bounces back. You know, this is maybe why some people bounce back and some don't. You know, exactly. Um, you know, so I would, I would, I would sort of comb through. If you're interested in looking for bounce back players, I'd sort of comb through. Yasiel Puig has been suffering with a shoulder injury all year,
0: and and the hamstring flared the back hamstring. up. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I, I, and he's young enough where I, I think a healthy season for him could still be a monster, uh, especially if a certain if a team with a nice you know. A nice park, you know, you know, took him on. So uh, I'm still in on Puig, and I think that I want these guys that I'm identifying to be younger, and I want the notes to be more definitive than maybe even McCutcheon's, But you know, McCutcheon's are I think right there at the interesting level where you're like, oh, you know, he didn't really complain about it, and he's not gonna, you know, he's not gonna, you know, say it's because of his heel or his his thumb or whatever. But there's there's some daylight there where you know at least it's not just you know getting it is getting old but it's not just getting old you
0: know Chris Davis had a thumb right and we don't it, it, i'm I'm looking now I see a thumb mentioned as recently uh, or as as early as uh, June 8th without even going all the way back yet. I don't know if it was mentioned yeah, okay. before well, that. And it's back up again this month. And they already said that he's not going to be 100% the rest of the way. Okay. Uh, that was earlier this month. And so, you know, anything with the hand, I know the base I think is more important, your lower half for power, but anything with hands is certainly important as well. And it's not like the power. Thing and yeah. Even, the, yeah. And look, two eighteen average. So yeah, right. you know we we know the strikeouts were going to be there, but it's maybe those those in between the homers and the strikeouts when he's getting knocks. Chris Davis just wasn't getting them this year, year.
1: Twenty this year,
0: twenty doubles this yeah. year. I mean that's that's a eleven double drop with the basically the same amount of playing time. Yeah. That that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna be a hit.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, we'll try to identify a lot of these guys. we got, we got a lot of work to do with the with the uh, draft kits and the, the sleepers and all that stuff we'll put together. But uh, Absolutely. this is definitely a brand of sleeper that I kind of like. It's, it's, it's one that I've targeted a lot in the past. You have to be careful because you don't want to target a guy that is oft injured. So is Stanton really necessarily the guy you want to jump on because he played through injury or was injured last year? Is Jose Bautista the guy you want to jump on? Because they're more... You know, guys that you take if they drop far enough that they you could add them with a wire guy um, and and make value that way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. not guys that are like, OK, I'm taking Stanton the second round because next year he's going to hit 55 homers. You know,
0: I think at that point uh, with Stanton, we just got to quit saying that if it happens, it happens. And that's great. But I think but we've the, reached the a lottery, point
1: like the lottery ticket, the, the percentage chance on your lottery ticket for that is, is getting lower every year.
0: Exactly exactly and i think that that's something that we need to be mindful of when we're kind of looking at these sleepers you don't want to get too much with the chronic guys but maybe a guy who kind of oh that's weird that he had such a sharp drop oh there's three nagging injuries well they don't seem like they're going to be chronic so i will take my shot here at a discount and see what happens and that was a reason why i liked somebody like will myers you mentioned him earlier was because i thought okay if we get some health there's still a lot to like here and i wonder uh, if maybe he Got nicked up a little bit after his, his big player of the month, month that he had where he, he was on fire and he's kind of, uh, sputtered into the finish line a little bit too. So we'll keep an eye on those. I think we'll, I think we got at least a piece, if not a full list of them worth to put, a, uh, to put together for the offseason. But I want to talk a little bit, um, about an award here, which will give us a chance to talk about two really, really sharp rookies this year. And, and the debate is raging on now. It first started off as a little bit, uh, of a goof, I think. I, I don't think anybody was necessarily serious about it when Gary Sanchez really got going because it was, you know, a two week run. Okay. You know, Sanchez for rookie of the year, wink, question mark, not really. But now you look at it and I think the 20 homer threshold is, is meaningful for people, uh, right or wrong. And, the, and now they're really, really seriously questioning it. Yes, I am a Tigers fan, but even uh, putting that aside, I just don't think that you can take it away from Michael Fulmer, who has been excellent for a full season. I mean, we're looking at a sub-3 ERA, depending on how his start goes tonight. I mean, 628 batters faced versus 213 plate appearances, 3x the playing time. Um, for me, it's still Fulmer, but how do you see this this AL Rookie of the Year battle going with San- uh, Gary Sanchez versus Michael Fulmer?
1: Yeah, I think it's uh, Sanchez for me. The, the, the question, I hate you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The question, of course, is, you know, how much of that ERA and whip you attribute to Michael Fulmer and how much you attribute to other causes, you know, one you might say with capital L luck or, you know, sort of team causes because he does have that 262 BABIP, you know. And, and know. the Tigers
0: actually have good defense up the middle, so something that used to be a problem for that club was team defense. Now you're looking at a Kinsler Iglesias keystone combo. That's pretty darn good. That's going to help pitchers for sure.
1: And you look at even steamer, which is the, the high man on him. And, and I, and I love him to death and I, and I would qualify myself as a high man. The steamer steamers like 380 ERA one, two, six whip projection going forward. So that would be what steamer says is his true talent. And, you know, for what's worth, I poked around on Fulmer's, um, you know, exit velocity uh, because in case maybe he's you know one of those guys that can really soften the blow with that nice change up and um, you know that's how he's gotten the low Babbit he's 74th um, among qualified starters he's 74th in exit velocity out of 167 so it's Just kind of mid pack it's above average but it's yeah, not but no,
0: but not special
1: no i mean special is uh, Tyler Anderson's number 1 um uh, Kent Amida is really good at it. Um, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez is really up there, which is interesting. And then you've got your aces, you Darvish, Corey Kluber, Jake Arrieta, Kyle Hendricks, Clayton Kershaw. Uh, and then, of course, your, your uber ace, your aces ace, uh, Tommy Malone.
0: <laughs> you got the number one guy, yeah. Tommy Malone. But well, anyway, obviously. so
1: for me, like Fulmer has been good, but it's more like good in 155 innings, where Sanchez has been sort of otherworldly. Um, well,
0: how about this? His, if his if we're going to use a two month sample from Sanchez, how about we just use Michael Fulmer's two best months mm-hmm. when he had like a a point eighty three ERA for 11s? I'm obviously kidding. I'm no, just. No, no, uh,
1: but it's- it, because if what if Gary had played two more months, I'm sure there'd be some regression in there.
0: I guarantee there would, because he has a 41 percent homer to fly ball rate, right, which right. is the most obscene thing I've ever seen for 213 plate appearances like that. And of course, he's contributing to it because he crushes the ball uh, right. with a 43 percent hard contact rate and a 53 percent pull rate. But there's no doubt that that you know more time. Even even fifty more games, like you said, another two months would certainly regress that. Let's go. Um,
1: to, let's go to projected rate stats. So uh, Gary Sanchez, his projection, which is supposedly his true talent, which is sort of what that Korea thing was about. But let's say his projection going forward, the best one is 115. So basically, 15% better than league average with the stick, plus positional value and, and defense. But let's just go with that. With the bat, 15% better than than league average. Um, Carson Fulmer's Michael Fulmer. Michael, yeah, yeah Michael, not Carson. Uh, Michael Fulmer's best ERA minus projection. Um uh, oh, they don't actually just sort of project that for you, do they?
0: Um, no, but you mentioned the 380 ERA and, and the 126 WHIP that that Steamer had as the best one. That's gonna be. Average. right around average, really.
1: 380, I can do this real quick. Pitching leaders, league, uh, league stats, starters, AL. Uh, ooh, no, no, oh no, no, I don't know. 444 ERA. Okay. Um,
0: well, yeah, with all the homers, think the averages right. have really gone up. Uh, all of a sudden, a, a mid to upper three Z ERA is good again. Remember, as Not recently as last forward. year,
1: so um. You know, I think uh, that's weird, though, because, yeah, that's funny, because he could have a 100 ERA minus, but it would be with uh, relievers in it. The average starter has 105 ERA minus because it's hard to be a starter in the American League. Absolutely. So, um, OK, I think maybe he, he could be close to 10 to 15 better than 10 to 15 percent better than league average.
0: Which is right around where where Sanchez is with this projection. And
1: then you, so then you give uh, him, you give him uh, the innings. It, it,
0: it's. I, I think Sanchez has really made it interesting, which I didn't really think he was going to be able to do because I kind of thought that he would cool down a little bit in September. You know, after that, after that amazing August, and, and he just hasn't. He's been so obscene. He's definitely going to get votes. I really think that this is going to be a close one, uh, but again, I, I I do lean on the on the value of pitching the entire season, over two months, especially when we regularly talk about. Taken a little bit of the sting out of September numbers because of the way the game is with the with the watered down pitching. I think even when you fact once you factor that in too, that's that's just another little hit on Sanchez. So you know, I fully respect what he's done. I'm I'm on board with him as as one of the one of the top catchers next year, even based on only 213 plate appearances. But for me, it's Fulmer.
1: I and I actually think that he'll be better than this next year. Not better than what he did but better than what his projections think he is. So Yeah, better um, than
0: the 817 OPS?
1: No, uh Fulmer.
0: Oh, okay. Be- better than the the yeah, 38126.
1: Yeah, I think he'll be like a 3-5 you know, 120 kind of guy. Um with with better strikeout per nine because they're all projecting him based on this lower strikeout per nine number.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, I think a lot of that has been this the change up because the change up um while it does get more whiffs than the slider, it also gets a lot more grounders. So, exactly.
0: A lot of weak contact with that. That, that changeup was the game changer. I mean, Right,
1: and throwing that a lot more, I think, has, even though it leads to more whiffs, it also leads to more ground balls. And um, I think there's been a lot of guys he'll be willing to, let me see, I'd like to see how many he threw to right-handers. Yeah, look at that. He threw 13% changeups to right-handers. Those, are, those 13%, those could all be sliders in terms of uh, strikeouts, right? And I'm not mm-hmm. saying that he'll necessarily convert all those to sliders next year, but if he starts to feel something going the other way in terms of balls in play or you know, they start keying on that change or whatever, he can go back to the kind of strikeout, you know, the high strikeout guy he was before.
0: Exactly. Yeah, I completely agree.
1: So I, I think he'll be more like an 8K9 guy. Um, the command seems to be good. The only question I have is injury, and that question you have for everybody. So, um, I I think he'll be one of those good like threes you buy as a three. It, it'll be will be weird if he wins if he wins the the rookie of the year. <clears throat> you know, maybe he maybe everyone buys him as like a one.
0: Yeah that that. It will, it will almost hurt Michael Fulmer's value because it will be that kind of signature thing where they say, oh, he's rookie of the year. Let's bump him up 10 spots or what whatever. But if you're but in if, a
1: league, this is a key thing here. This is when you need to know your league because if you're in a league with projections – I don't want to say that. Projections fascists. Let's call them that. <laughs> um, if you're in a league with projections fascists, they may undervalue Michael Fulmer.
0: Absolutely. And <clears throat> all young like guys, a, really. Maybe yeah, even Sanchez as well, to be honest.
1: They'll see some 380, uh, 380 ERA, and they'll say, you know, this guy's okay. Uh, and they'll think, I'm probably not going to get a lot of Michael Forma shares because people will overvalue him because of the Rookie of the Year. So uh, th- those leagues, you have to say, well, you know what? I'm going to bump him in my projection seat to three five one two. See where that what that punches out, and actually buy him at that level, and uh, and probably and and have a chance to even you know do a little better than that if he has like a full quantity Cy Young type season, which he's that kind of arm when he's healthy. Um, then the, the other kind of leagues are the ones where they say, well, he won Rookie of the Year, he's going to be an ace. You know, I love him to death. And those are the years where maybe you step off because you say, well, it's a pretty violent delivery. He did only have seven strikeouts per nine, basically, and you know. We don't know that he's like a three-one type guy, you know. So,
0: absolutely, I I, I think he's going to be one of those kind of up in the air guys. And you, and you make a great point about knowing your league. How much do people rely on projections? How much do they kind of go with their gut, what they've seen, and and you know, to a little bit of an extent, hype because he was a big time prospect and he did pitch well. So. It, it, I think, I think it is going to be a league by league thing for Michael Fomer to the point where his average draft position might not be, I, I don't think a lot of average draft positions are useful, but his might be particularly problematic because it could be a certain league where, you know, he goes in the sixth round of one league, but all the way down in the 10th round of another. Like he could be bouncing around. And so I think that min and max that they list for the uh, NFBC. Uh, average draft position highest he went lowest he went will be really interesting too because that could that could really really have a wide wide gap yeah all right all right you know let's uh let's move on and talk some hidden second halves here real quick i want to get your thoughts on four guys two hitters two pitchers one from each league um in each here this one was requested multiple times including one tweet today that we got uh requesting that we discuss willie peralta now if you'd ask me to bet If anybody would ask us to purposely talk about Willie Peralta in June, I would have laid the most obscene odds possible for you that that there's no way that anybody would ask us to purposely do that Mm -hmm. because Willie Peralta's mom doesn't listen to the show anymore. Mm -hmm. And so, you know. She got really upset when we were talking about his 699 ERA in May, and we were saying, get rid of him. She said, fine, unsubscribe. I'm going to go listen to the (laughs) uh, CBS pod. Okay, fine. Hey, they do good work over there, Ms. Peralta. But uh, now we're back, and we're talking Willie Peralta because he had an injury. He was gone from June 11th to August 9th, so essentially two months, and since coming back from injury, he's really looked like the guy that, I don't know if you were ever suckered by him, uh, but I certainly was. I saw some stuff in Willie Peralta that I liked, but I'd, I'd long quit him. I'm not trying to take credit on this at all. I had long quit Willie Peralta, but nine starts, 55 and two-thirds innings of a three twenty three ERA 48 strikeouts let's see that this i'm trying to do the whip by uh, 118 whip so 323 era 118 whip 48 k's and 55 and two-thirds innings for willie peralta looking pretty darn good has five strikeouts in eight of the nine outings uh, five or more and then there's a one strikeout outing in there against seattle but other than that he's been great hasn't allowed more than four earned runs in any of them Course, being on Milwaukee and having the ugly numbers that he had in his first 13 starts, nobody's really noticing it. Did you get a chance to take a look at Willie Peralta and see if anything has really changed with him?
1: There's a little bit of a case of well, first of all, his velocity came back up, um, which is you know has to be related to that uh, injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came back 95 and he, he left 94 and he came back 95, so that's 95 plus, so. Um, that's nice. He's also gone to the sinker gradually over the last two years more than the four-seam, uh, and then this last couple of months he's thrown the slider more than he's ever thrown it in his life. And you know, I, it could be one of those you know scares the death of scares the you know that you see the end of your career kind of in, in your uh, rearview mirror coming after you and. When yeah,
0: when you're toting a seventy RA, you're thinking uh, I'm going back to Colorado Springs and I might be off so of me, that let team this, soon.
1: Let, let me throw the slider thirty five percent of the time. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's uh, it can work. It means that he's got to throw the slider sometimes in, in in counts to get you know stolen strikes and stuff like that. But his his strikeout minus walk rate when he came back was fourteen percent, which is you know above average. You add in the fact that. Um, you know, a, f- a fastball on 95 is, is going to give up fewer home runs. Should give up fewer home runs, and you know, uh, a lower Babbitt, You know, all things being equal, that was that might be old research now, though, because baseball has fundamentally changed. But you know, I, I still I still would like to have the 95 mile an hour guy. So absolutely, uh, he's still though he's still a two pitch pitcher, and you know, he doesn't really trust that that uh, that changeup. So Never has. Lefties have a 356 Woba against him. That's decidedly mm-hmm. above average. It's a lot of home runs. Uh, they have a 287 average. They basically have a 900 OPS against him. <laughs> and that's uh, career. So,
0: wow. Um, that's insane. They're a first round player against. Lefties are a first round player against Willie yeah, Peralta.
1: Yeah, and then they drop down to. Uh, it's actually a pretty big split. They drop down to 700 uh you know, from the left. From the right. From from so, the right side, yeah. You know, seven hundred is more like your, you know, your shortstop, your backup shortstop. So mm-hmm. um, you know, there are more righties than lefties, so that's how he can he make his way through. But I think it's more like of a sneaky D F S play against a righty heavy lineup, um, you know, sneaky stream. Uh not something maybe like an N F B C bench piece uh next year, real deep league where you you put him on your bench and you say he's a guy that, you know, it's almost draft and follow in NFBC because you can't trade and um, you, you can exactly. pick up guys off the wire. But, you know, those things are so deep that, you know, having a guy like Peralta on his good streaks or in those sort of streamable situations, you bring him put him on the, the starting lineup just, for, just to get maybe 10 starts out of him over the year. You know? Absolutely
0: no, I I completely agree. I like how you uh, tab it as like a draft and follow situation, because yeah, if you if you get met, mixed up with with some lefty heavy lineups, you're dead meat. You mentioned Especially the homers, thirteen inside. more homers in thirty fewer plate appearances for his career against lefties for Willie Peralta, and that's that's dangerous. And and obviously there's going to be teams. That uh, are going to be smart enough to to stack that, and they're going to say, "Let's let's get our lefties and our switch hitters in here to to club him." So that is something that is, well, I mean, that is
1: concerned. level, I think it's not necessarily on the managers; it's more on the GM level. Like the the, the, the Indians had the platoon advantage at the plate and on the mound more than any other team in baseball this year, and I think they combine the sort of savvy of uh, of the platoon meisters in Oakland and, and maybe in L.A and Tampa uh, with, you know, slightly more resources than Oakland mm-hmm. um, and um, some longevity. You know, the Indians front office has been there for a while. They just lost Shapiro, but a lot of those people have been there for a while. So, um, you know, I don't think that you can blame what's a righty-heavy team. Uh, the Mets are isn't not the Mets? Um,
0: My beloved Tigers, although they're in the uh, – Yeah, yeah, the, your Tigers the are pretty
1: righty. Yeah.
0: I mean, they've they've really only got you know victor martinez is a is a full time switch, yeah. switch hitter um from the left side no 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 regular starters in fact they're their're their only uh regular lefties end up being switch hit, hit switch hit types Jared yeah. Saltamachia, the backup catcher and then uh Andrew Romine played what i would probably consider too much this year hundred ninety four <laughs> point appearances <laughs> as a switch hitter as well as so Romine yeah that does yeah they're very 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 righty heavy sort of team and so if you if you kind of troll through assuming he stays with Milwaukee and go troll through the the lineups and you see the teams that are that are righty heavy that's where you're going to want to pick on um pick on those clubs with Willie Peralta unless he learns a change-up otherwise he's just he's just got to be a streamer all right next guy is Eduardo Rodriguez, and you know we're certainly hoping for more out of him to evolve into that full time kind of guy. He shouldn't necessarily be stuck with these same kind of uh, uh, splits here. If you look at his first half, eight fifty nine ERA in six starts, twenty nine to thirty innings, that's going to carry all year. There's almost nothing you can do short of having like a Jake Arrieta last year second half that's going to erase that. So the fact that he's had a three ten ERA and a one ten WHIP. And 13 starts in the second half almost doesn't go noticed if you're not really paying full attention to it because you see a 468 ERA and a 128 WHIP on the whole and it just looks kind of blah. But again, that second half uh, when he got back from I think injury and demotion, I think he had both. Uh, at some point this year for Eduardo Rodriguez, but he's been he's been on track now since the All Star break. Has only allowed more than three earned runs twice in those thirteen starts. Seventy strikeouts in seventy and two thirds innings as well. Is Eduardo Rodriguez coming around? He was somebody that had hype this year. Are you seeing some development?
1: Yeah, I talked to him a little bit in Toronto, and we talked a lot about the harder slider. I also asked him where he found the velocity because if you remember way back when when he was a Baltimore prospect. Um, You know, the reason he got traded for Andrew Miller was because he kind of went from 91 to, you know, 93, 94. Exactly. Yes. And he basically said, I had knee surgery and I came back and I was throwing 93. So it could be another one of these cases of injury, you know, hiding, suppressing some true talent there. And And then that
0: lower half gets back and boom, a lot of strength there.
1: And then we saw that over the course of this season as well, because Mm -hmm. he had a knee problem again. He mm-hmm. said he couldn't land and it was on the front knee, I think, and we know from drive line baseball that the front knee is the one that creates a lot of the velocity on the landing. So um not surprising that his slider, which he sort of fiddled with the grip a little bit and he changed up his his process with that, but it's not surprising that he, he the knee got right, the slider got harder. Um you know, to be fair, the slider got harder to where it was last year, but um you know, it went from 82, 83, 84... Early to eighty six, eighty seven, um, you know, uh, late, and I think that I think that's important. I mean, we know that, especially when it comes to like third time through the order stuff, uh, you're like ten percent better if you have another pitch, and you know, even as much as he has, uh, you know, some, you know, fastball, you know, four seam, uh, two seam action he can do, and the changeup's really good. He needed. A cutter or a slider had
0: to have a breaker absolutely yeah.
1: and now he can backfoot that thing uh, and it's not he's not just throwing it to to lefties um, you know his usage of the slider to righties uh, actually went up just as much um, and uh, he's got it up to 12 fifteen percent which is right at that line where you're like, oh, I can believe this guy now
0: Mm-hmm. And and there was an issue with Eduardo Rodriguez last year, and I think even earlier this year of like pitch tipping as well. We haven't heard much of that. So when you yeah, factor he said in the he health,
1: was plan, fanning the glove, uh, when, when, like when you when
0: up. you clean that up with the health, and all of a sudden you get a really big second half. And now they've got someone they can rely on in the playoffs too, especially as uh, you know things kind of break down. And now it's looking like a Porcello, uh, a Price Porcello. Erod, I I don't know why I said that. I hate I hate that Ed. Ed. (laughs) Uh, You got Ed there. You got Eduardo Rodriguez. Uh, now you have three guys that you can kind of rely on. I really like the way he's hitting into the finish line with a uh, big start in Baltimore, seven strikeouts, two, two earned and six and a third. And then even the start in Tampa Bay, who I mentioned to you on the last podcast, they'd been hitting lefties really well. And he goes in there for five and a third only because he ran up a pitch count pretty high to 113 pitches because he had 13 strikeouts. So what is that, 16 outs and 13 of them were strikeouts? You know, yeah, really, I,
1: I... yeah. I, I you really like seeing a
0: guy go deeper, but I'll take 13 strikeouts in a five and third any day.
1: Obviously, there's a health issue here. I mean, there's there's very few you know big meaty seasons on his resume. He has mm-hmm. in 2013 he managed uh, 140 innings, and that's about that's his max. I mean, this year 140 again. Um, last year actually, last year was like 169. So the, he could that's... actually you know throw 160 innings next year, mm-hmm. 180 even. So he could give you almost a full slate. Uh and here's how he beats his projections. He's he's let's see here. He's um what what was I what was the stat I just gave? Uh he's like third in and here it is. He's sixth and if you take out the relievers, he's fifth in exit velocity. Oh wow. That's, oh yeah, that's
0: right. So yeah, he um you had mentioned that.
1: 260 sixty balls in play. And that, that includes those home runs. So, you know, there's a lot of soft contact in there. So that 276 Babo, yes, yeah, some of that's because the, some of them are leaving the yard, and that's not included in BABIP. But some of that's also from soft contact. So
0: imagine if he curbs that strikeout rate, or I mean that home run rate. Last year it was .96. That's livable. This year, 1.4. I'm sure the health plus the league-wide jump uh, played a role, but he's a 23-year-old lefty, Eduardo Rodriguez is. So we as guess. he develops...
1: That's I mean, gas. 93.5, yeah. 94 miles an hour is gas. And he Absolutely. never had a home run problem in the minors. And he was nope. in some parks where you know you could do it. So, you know... W- yes. 0.4 homers in, in uh,
0: 572 and two-thirds minor league innings.
1: Yeah. I, I could see next year, if he got it down to like 0. 0.8, uh, I think you would see something a lot like the 385, 129 and... We've seen some growth in swinging strike rate and strikeout rate, so it wouldn't be impossible to to see more like a three seven, one two. You know, maybe like yeah. what the Fulmer projections are three eight one one two six. You know, mm-hmm. you know, people are going to pay much more for Fulmer, and you could be right behind them saying, "Well, I'm going to buy this Ed here." And, yeah, uh, and
0: it, it, nothing against Fulmer, but but Ed's price, Eduardo Rodriguez, is going to be so much cheaper. Do
1: you think he's going to be? I, I think he's probably going to be on my AL labor squad next year.
0: Yeah, he's because be like he's a
1: three to five dollar player.
0: He's not going to cost a lot. Though here's the only thing that can change it is if he goes and has a huge playoff, right? Yeah, on the big stage.
1: We'll to, you know, when we when we do our playoff podcast, a lot of it will be. How much will this, you know, make this guy overvalued, and how much will this make this guy undervalued?
0: So exactly, and I, I think he's somebody who could be susceptible to it um, if he does well. So I'm, I'm certainly not going to root against him, but that would be the 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 one downside would be that it would boost his price back up, especially playing on Boston. He's not on an obscure team, so if he if he goes out and dominates and they have a big run. That will send Rodriguez's price high, but for now, he definitely looks like somebody that you should be sleeping on uh, or or let him sleep a little bit and take that discount because there's still a lot of talent here, and I loved him coming into the year. He was part of my wide-awake sleepers, guys, that uh, you know everyone was kind of in on, and then he faded because he started off so poorly, and now he's showing why there was such hype. All right, two hitters real quick. Guy we check in on a lot this year. I don't think we really expected this because the only reason we keep checking in is because uh, just to show how wrong we were about Yasmani Tomas. He just keeps making us look foolish, at least with the, with the counting numbers here. I would not have thought that he was going to pop 30 homers in 2016, and yet that's where he's at. 30 and 80. 30 homers, 80 ribbies, 269 average for Yasmani Tomas. Quality season here at age 25. Is this, is this the peak? Are we seeing peak, or is, this, is there more here to Yasmani Tomas than, than what we've seen?
1: You know, we followed his swing rate pretty closely, and there was a moment where it looked really nice, and then he's back up to one of the worst offenders in the league, highest swingers, highest mm-hmm. reachers, and highest whiffers. So it's sort of amazing to me that he managed a 269 average. I'm I'm probably not gonna be in on him and I think that the only way that he becomes sort of sneaky is when he becomes kind of anti saber. If if Tony La Russa stays you know in charge there uh and uh they don't change anything about the leadership in Arizona, then he's probably gonna play a full slate again, even though yep. he was a replacement level player this year. I mean zero outside wins. Of
0: that, yeah, outside of that power
1: Five percent walk rate
0: and twenty five percent strikeout bad rate. Like that.
1: defense. I can't. I, I
0: those are bad. Five percent and twenty five percent. If you are going to be st- displaying that kind of power, usually we need more walks to kind of offset the big strikeout rate. And you look at his big month where he where he popped ten. Yasmani Tomas had ten homers in August, and it came with a two thirty two average because that was it, that was kind of it. It was feast or famine with the uh, with, with the homers or nothing. And you know he's closing strong though 309 this month yeah, three but more still, homers. The
1: whole line is 7% better than the league average.
0: Yeah. It, I can't I can't and get behind if you've watched
1: it. him he's not a good defender anywhere. So No, he should not, be a DH first really. base is not open. So, you know, the Diane Vicieto comps are still out there, you know. They
0: they they really are. And that's how he came in and and, and I we're think still that's there,
1: really I yep. mean we're, we he, he had a good year and I don't I don't want to take it away from him and he looked a little bit better physically, uh, and maybe he was a little bit better in the outfield. But the numbers hated him in the outfield, and you know our hitting numbers I think are are dead on. And you know for him to be seven percent better than league average and projected to be worse than league average with that defense, I think many I don't think many other teams are calling. Maybe Vicieto
0: went uh, Vicieto went twenty five seventy eight in twenty twelve, and I that mean, was
1: twenty twelve. So that's basically thirty in today's numbers. Yep. So I mean,
0: so that's – it's it's still that same sort of prime. thing. So we'll give him credit for beating any projection that you and I would have had for him. But I'm, this is still not a guy who has turned me to where have, I want to get Yasmani Tomas.
1: Congratulations if you got those 30 homers. Yes. And I just wouldn't bank on it happening again.
0: What about this guy's 30 homer season? He also has 30 and 80 – actually, has 81 now. Brad Miller, sometimes named aptly, Bad Miller <laughs> – Hasn't been so bad. Now, now this is a guy I have liked, and I uh, wasn't, you know, I didn't. I got a couple shares this year, nothing crazy. I was actually more in on him last year, um, and then with the with the kind of ups and downs that he had, just the underwhelming five percent better than average season that he had, I was I was kind of off of it, so I didn't really reap the benefits the way I would have with the with the investment I had last year. But thirty homers, eighty one ribbies, uh, chip in sixty, still a two forty eight average. You know, this is still. Not a guy, similar skills to um, to to Tomas in that 7% walk rate, 25% strikeout rate. It, it, it's, it's a bit of a better package because there's some, some positional flexibility to it. Although, uh, yeah, okay, he's still going to maintain shortstop next year, even though he's probably not going to play it. I think that that's what keeps Brad Miller on my radar because I can get it at middle infield. But uh, how do you feel about this 30 homer season?
1: I mean he's he is like Tomas but in every way he's a little bit better, right? Like yes. instead of a five percent walk rate he has a career eight percent walk rate. That's left handed average. He's left handed so he gets a platoon advantage more often. He's bad on defense, but he's not bad on defense at a bad position.
0: He's bad in the hardest spot, exactly.
1: He's bad at you know, so you know, the more he goes away from that, and the more he becomes a first baseman or a right fielder or whatever whatever they have for him next year, uh, the better his numbers are gonna be. To, to wit, uh, you know his outfield numbers are not good, and not everybody can be an outfielder. Look at Danny Murphy, uh, but maybe <laughs> they just uh, maybe they just set him at first base where he's been a positive. I um, think that's
0: where he is going to play because you know, Logan Morrison's free plays agent. Some
1: first base, second base. Uh, they could just basically you know kind of use those guys in a platoon mashup. They always do something like that, and mm-hmm. uh, and his numbers at second base are not as atrocious as, as other places. So. Um, you know, and, and another thing, his numbers everywhere, but shortstop are in small, small samples. So, you know, given that he's basically been a scratch shortstop for his career, you can believe that given a bigger sample at every other position, he'll be an offensive, he'll be a defensive value. So especially if he gets a full time to play there. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. He's going to get better at it. So Matt Duffy is probably their shortstop, but. First base, you know, Logan Morrison is gone. Um, you know, uh, that's I, I don't have the roster right in front of me. but
0: No, he's been, he's been the one that's filling in. Brad Miller has been. So yeah. I, they don't – they're not – I don't think there's really going to be anybody else. that the push. They never really have a first base.
1: Yeah, so the outfield is always in flux there. So he'll factor in at, at first, second in the outfield, and he'll be eligible uh, at short. So, you know, just being eligible at short means if you could have Tomas at short – you would be all over it, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and that also has implications for what happens when he moves down the defensive spectrum. So, you know, I I think next year the projection will soften on the homers, but you're still going to be looking at a guy who can hit 250 with 20 homers and five stolen bases at shortstop.
0: And I'll take that. I absolutely will. Yeah. Eno, you got to get going. Not
1: so bad.
0: Um, not not so bad, Miller. Let's get let's keep the R in there for so right now, man, okay? Yeah. Uh, one, 114 WRC plus right now. We're going to take that. A uh, couple couple good games here down the stretch, and he'll end with an OPS north of 800. He's at 799 right now. Uh, so Brad Miller, quality season at shortstop. He's also you a know, little
1: bit, you do have to remember this. When you're looking through all the numbers, and, and if you get too into like looking at one player and being like, oh my God, Brad Miller, amazing. You have to really, really remember the jump in the entire league.
0: The league, exactly. Yeah,
1: so, you know, 20, 20 is the new 10. Isn't
0: I mean, this the most 20 Segura home run has, hitters ever? Has, Segura has 20. Yeah, when, when Sanchez and Segura, I think they hit their, their 20th homer uh, minutes apart on the same day, and they set a new record for the most 20 home run hitters in a season. Like I, I, I still, even though we've talked about it a lot, I've talked about it with you, I've talked about it with Jason, Even though it's still been talked about a lot, I still am not sure that we're covering enough just how crazy the home run surge in the league has been this year.
1: The funny thing is, yes, it makes steals, you know, more undervalued. However, if you take a zero home run guy now, you're even penalized more.
0: Yes. So So if you take that Ben Revere, you really have to – got to pair him with, like, Carter. You know, the Blackman types
1: get better. Even though Blackman himself only stole, like, 10, 15 bases this year – You know those guys keep you in that sort of like the average slot. We have to look at this. The average slot on the twelve team uh, roster probably produced like eighteen to twenty five homers this year. So then, does
0: Segura? I mean, think about Segura's value.
1: You know, you know, he's probably twenty thirty. You know, a starting second baseman, and uh, you know he's 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 going to give you. Yeah, he's going to give you. He might not give you twenty again, but he won't give you zero no
0: tw- t- if it's 12 and 30 or 12 and 35 or whatever like really just not getting not that get zero, zero. Yeah, with the steals because,
1: because you've got to average more than 20 now because there's 130 to 20 home run guys
0: <laughs> it, so. it's been insane you know you're out friday yes
1: uh i'm out friday i'm gonna be in la for my sister-in-law's wedding okay um and uh hope by then your die is is cast um and good luck to you all Maybe we'll. Maybe I'll. Uh, somebody should have a, a streamer piece just for the last weekend. But those are all hail marys. And in fact, I don't even know how great the streamer piece is for the last weekend because, you know, I've been looking at is David Price going to st- start that last game? And that, I asked, that's the
0: thing too. We have no idea who's even actually going to start.
1: Writers that know really well uh, whether or not David Price is going to start, and I got like four answers from the two guys. <laughs> you know, because they're first. They're like, no, I don't think so. Well. You know, Farrell's playing coy, and it might happen, might not. Um, and uh, just got another thing being like, oh, no, no, I changed my answer. If he starts on the last day, he's set up for game two of the series. So,
0: Well, and uh, then they could get home field on they that could last get, day. They could,
1: get three start, they could get three innings out of David Price and say, thank you, uh, don't get injured, go home now. Well, what if they go
0: up 6-0 in the first inning?
1: But they don't even care about the result of that game so much. It would be David Price saying, I really want to start this game to stay on schedule. So they say, okay, you can start this game. Oh, you pitched three good innings. Thanks, A few but, innings, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, it's
0: it's, it's going to be difficult. You're right. Um, I I might get something together for Friday just to maybe talk about something that's that's forward looking again. Uh, but then otherwise, you and I'll be back next week. We'll we'll talk about what our schedule is going to be next week because obviously it's not going to be as frequent. But obviously we're not going anywhere. We will still be here during the off season. I think we can talk Have, about
1: you know the, the way the players are perceived during the the postseason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as the winter meetings set up, we'll we'll start talking dynasty stuff. To, you know, treat the winter meetings as as if they were for for all of us.
0: And hey, yeah. you and I will be in Arizona in, in just over a month, so we'll have plenty we'll do to talk a about.
1: Podcast Before... from the AFL.
0: Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. That Jason will be there. That was a real fun one
1: last year because we got all three of us together on one podcast without any preparation. Uh, with the the ambient noise of batting practice we should should recreate that one i think
0: yes i completely agree so i'm gonna let you go you've got a little one to take care of and uh yes it sounds like he's getting uh, uh maybe a little bit fussy from from whatever sickness he's dealing with have a good time in la and i'll talk to you next week Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. The baseball season is winding down, but we're about to have the two biggest months of the regular season. So you're definitely gonna be wanting tickets. If your team's in in contention, you might be making a decision kind of at the last minute. You know what, it's Tuesday night, let's go ahead and go. You jump on SeatGeek and you're going to guarantee yourself the best prices even with that sort of uh, game day type of buying as opposed to buying them in, in advance. And because Seed Geek is the only place I ever go to look for tickets to a game or concert, that's, that's, that's kind of how I know. I I actually use the product here. I have the app on my phone and it's great. It's taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all the tickets available on other sites into one place. So you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games and SeatGeek will let you know if the price falls. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats and before you buy you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge at checkout now our listeners will get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase all you have to do to get that $20 rebate is download the free SeatGeek app go to the settings tab and click add a promo code enter promo code sleeper s-l-e-e-p-e-r and then SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code sleeper today